That's right. Good morning to everyone. Yes, and welcome to those of you who are joining us in different rooms and different venues. Of course, thank you for joining us online, and shout out to those of you who are in our Gospel Fusion and Traditions uh, venue. And for those a part of our uh, Chinese-speaking ministry, Dijon Meiping Han, and for those of you in our Spanish-speaking ministry, Bienvenido a Blackhawk. And as Matt said, shout out to you down at Fitchburg, and of course, downtown, we see you guys as well. We are so glad uh, to be with you. We're gonna continue in the book of Micah, and if you have not had the chance to be a part of this series, maybe today's the first day you're jumping in, I just wanna encourage you to go online and listen to the messages uh, before this, because the series has just been so, so rich. You know, early on, Chris said the book of Micah is a flyover book. And the reason why he said that is because the book is very, very small, which makes it actually really hard to find when you look through the Bible. And much of what it says is unfamiliar to us. Well, today, it's gonna be quite the opposite, or at least for some of us. The text we're gonna look at today might be familiar to a lot of you. In fact, some of you may have words from this text hanging on the walls of your home. Here's a couple examples. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, or act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. These are words that some people even have tattooed or T-shirts of, uh, but especially we see things like this on the walls. You know, later this week, I didn't even know this, but kind of later in the week, I found out that our impact team actually has this sign hanging up uh, in the walls of their office here at Blackhawk. And uh, you know, these words are powerful and they're meaningful, they're so, so good, and they're rich. You know, but for many of us, we might think that these words are like a proverb or, or like a nice suggestion uh, for life. But in the book of Micah, man, they have a completely different purpose. In fact, these words are a closing argument in a lawsuit and a lawsuit between God and his people. And that's what we're gonna look at more closely today. Open your Bibles to Micah chapter six, Micah six. I'm gonna begin reading in verse one. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. God is bringing a case against his people. And in just like any court case, just like today, there are witnesses that are called. And here we see that the, the witnesses are the mountains and, and the foundations of the earth. Now, why them? Well, the mountains and the foundations of the earth, they have seen everything. They have seen what God has done, and they have seen the things that Israel has done. And they will be able to verify what is true. You know, even for us, we have a saying like this, what if the walls could talk, right? What if the walls could talk? Well, they would share everything they've seen, and that's what's going on here. God has called the mountains. He's called the foundations of the earth because he wants them to verify what's true because he's bringing a case against his people. Let's keep reading in verse three. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery, 
I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted? What Balaam, son of Beor, answered? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal? That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God's opening argument in this case is questions, right? He says, my people, how have I burdened you? How have I, what have I done wrong? These questions are rhetorical. God hasn't burdened them. He hasn't let them down. No, he's actually lifted them up. Look back at verse four. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He's saying, I rescued you. I saved you. And not only did I rescue you, but I sent you great leaders to lead you, right? He sent, he sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to lead them. Now Moses and Aaron, we're, we're probably familiar with, right? Moses was the man with the burning bush, and Aaron was brought in because Moses, well, he was afraid to speak. He didn't feel like he was very eloquent, and so God brought Aaron to kind of help lead and speak on his behalf before Pharaoh. But Miriam, hmm, now that might be someone we're not as familiar with. You know, she's, uh, she's the sister of Moses and Aaron, and she was also the one who helped deliver Moses when he was placed in the Nile. But later on in the book of Exodus, it actually says that she's a prophet. Look at verse, Exodus 15, verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam was considered a prophet. And if we remember, prophets are spokespeople for God. You know, at a day and age where everything was very patriarchal and men were easily viewed as the leaders, it says here that God sent Miriam and he, that she was a leader, that she was a spokesperson for God. And I thought that was interesting and I wanted to make sure and note that this morning. So God has rescued them and he sent great leaders to them. And then he says here in verse five that he brought them through. Look at Look at verse five, it says, my people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. You know, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna be able to dive deep into these stories, but these are powerful stories of the way God protected and provided for the people of Israel in their journey to the promised land. You see, the people were trying to hinder them and there were events that were trying to hinder them, but God said, no, 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 I've got this and I've got you and I'm gonna take you there. Now, the story of King Balak and Balaam is in Numbers 22 and 23. If you wanna reference that story, spoiler alert, there is a donkey that actually talks in this story and that's real. And then in Joshua 3, that's the story from Shittim to Gilgal where God parts the Jordan River. So why is God reminding, of, reminding them of these things? Why is this kind of the opening argument? I think God is trying to say, Israel, I've done right by you. I brought you up out of Egypt. I sent you great leaders. And I brought you through. I protected and I provided a way to the promised land. I have fulfilled the covenant promises that I made long ago. You see, in a covenant relationship, there's expectations on both sides. And God is saying, I've done right by you. The question is, has Israel done right by him? 
You know, as we've seen over the last few weeks, Israel has not done right. They have broken God's commands. They've broken covenant. They were supposed to take care of the poor, and they didn't do that. And their leaders, well, their leaders left awake of pain and destruction. Israel was guilty, and they knew it. And what do people who are guilty tend to do next? Well, they tend to try to fix things, don't they? Well, that's what's happening in verse six. Let's look at verse six. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see, the people thought the way to mend the relationship was to bring gifts and sacrifices. And I think that tells us something about the people of Israel, how they viewed their relationship with God. I think they viewed their relationship with God more like a contract versus a covenant. You see, they thought they could exchange goods and services for God's favor. They thought that God could be bought or bribed. But God didn't make a contract with Israel. He's not looking for an exchange of goods and services. God made a covenant. He's looking for something much more important. You know, I have been married uh, 14 years coming up this June. And uh, it's hard to believe. It just feels like yesterday we were just standing at the altar. And um, I could say over those 14 years of marriage, I've had at least a few fix-it moments in my life. There was this one time, like three weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) It was a Tuesday. And I thought, man, you know what, I'm feeling good. I got a great idea. I'm gonna ask my wife on a date and I'm gonna say, hey, you know what? So I told her, I said, honey, I am gonna pick up a dessert for you and we're gonna have a date night on Friday night this week. And I was feeling great about it. I was like, oh, I'm being so thoughtful, good for me. And so, anyway, between Wednesday and Friday, it had been a week. And on Friday, I had a really long day. I come home late. We have a quick dinner, we put the kids to bed. And I come downstairs, and I'm like, I'm like, Michelle, what would you like to do tonight? Yeah, you know where this is going. <laughs> she looks at me with one of those looks. You know what I'm talking about? That look that says, you're supposed to know the answer to that question. Why don't you know the answer to that question, but just in the face, you know? And I was like, oh, man, I recognize the look. I knew something was wrong. But I could not remember. I could not remember what I had done. Now, for those of you who may be you know, dating or just kind of exploring relationships, this is a key thing here because you gotta be careful. You don't wanna just guess at what it could be. Because <laughs> for any of you who may be laughing right now, you know you could just make things a lot worse, right? So I've learned, you just ask a few questions. So I asked some questions, I said, hey, you know, honey, Obviously, something's not right. What, what, what are we missing here? And uh, she graciously and kindly, you know, reminded me, you were supposed to pick up a dessert. This was supposed to be a date night. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I felt terrible. I felt really, really bad. I really did. And then I thought, oh, man, I got to fix it, right? 
So then I said, you know what, that's okay. I can go to the store, I can get a muffin. I can go to, I can go to Cheesecake Factory and get a cheesecake. I can go to that bunt place and get a bunt. And I know, I know you like fried ice cream, so I get some ice cream and we get a deep fryer, then we can fry it. I'm not sure how to do it, but YouTube will tell me. I just started going, right? Oh, I gotta fix it, I gotta fix it, uh-oh. But that wasn't gonna fix it. She can't be bought. I can't just throw desserts. Sure, she wanted the dessert. But man, she wanted something a lot more, right? She wanted my heart. She wanted me to be mindful of her. She wanted me to follow through on what I said I would do. She wanted my heart to be changed. And God, that's what he wants from us. God doesn't want gifts. God cannot be bought. God wants us to be mindful of him. God wants us to follow through on what we said we would do. God wants our heart to change. He wants the people of Israel's heart to change. Because if their heart has changed and they are mindful of him, well then their lives will look a certain way. Look at verse eight. He says, I have shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God wants heart change. He wants his people to follow through on what they said they would do. He wants us to be mindful of him. And a person who is, has a real heart for God, well, they're the kind of person that look a certain way. They do justice. They love mercy. They walk humbly with him. Now, before we dive into those a bit deeper, I wanna take a look at one of the words that might have been unsettling or confusing for some of us listening. The verse says, what does the Lord require of you? Now, the word require, it might, it might hit something in us because immediately we start thinking about, oh, is this what God is saying about how to get into heaven? No, 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 that's not what he's saying here. You know, a lot of us, when we think about requirements, we think about access and entrance. Like a week ago, I went to a concert. I needed a ticket to get in. That was what was required. But God is not, that's not what God is saying here. This isn't about getting into heaven. This is about relationship. God wants people who love him to live a certain way. It's what he expects. It's what he's looking for. Does that make sense? Let me say it a different way. Tim Keller said this. He says, Religions, religion says, I obey, so I'm accepted. But grace says, I'm accepted, so I obey. You see, there's a big difference here, isn't it? There's a big difference right there. You know what, guys? God is not interested in building a bigger religion. God is very interested in building deep relationships with people. As we've seen throughout scripture, God is a God of grace, so we are already accepted by him. But because we're accepted, our lives are supposed to look a certain way. We're supposed to be people who do what is good, which is do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Now my hope today is that we don't just learn something new or that, oh, that was a good story. 
My hope today is that these words become something we know and they are deep into our hearts. It's something that we memorize. And so I want us to practice and memorize at all sites, all venues. I want us to do this out loud together. I am gonna ask, what does the Lord require of us? And you say, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We're gonna do this three times. Three times, all right? Got it? Good. All right, here we go. What does the Lord require of us? Very good. All right, second time. What does the Lord require of us? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Last time, what does the Lord require of us? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Good. Now, there are going to be some pop quizzes later in the sermon, so you got to keep paying attention. All right, just there you go. Let's talk about doing justice. Now, some of you might think, why is he saying do justice when the verse said act justly? And that's the NIV translation, and that's fine, but I tend to find that I like the ESV translation, which says do justice. I think that gets at the heart of what God really wants here, because I don't think God wants us to be people who just think about justice or read about justice or even wish for it. He wants us to be people who do justice. Now, do you remember the term for justice, the Hebrew term for justice? Does anybody know it? Mishpat, very good, that's right. That is the term mishpat. And it means to take things that are out of order and put them in order. We see this toy, we've had this throughout the series. And, and what it is, is it's kind of an illustration of like, oh, see, that's not in order. So we're supposed to take that and put it in order. This is kind of a picture of what it means to do mishpats, to take things that are out of order and put them and make them right. And for me, I feel like there are three really practical steps to doing justice in our world, and they are this. The first thing is see the problem, and the second thing is locate the source of the problem, and lastly, do something about it. Now, the first thing is we've gotta see the problem. That's a really important first step. Now, my wife and I, we have this, uh, we have this minivan, which I gotta be honest, I love our van. I didn't know I was gonna be a van guy, but I am a van guy. That's right. The doors, they automatically open. It's amazing. They automatically shut. Now, I, I saw it happen before, but when you own one, you know the difference. It is a good thing. I love our van. It's great for our family. Now, I don't get to typically drive it all that much, but uh, I was driving it not that long ago, and I noticed that our rear backup camera is out. Every time I put it in reverse, it just goes black. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that this had happened. Now, like I said, I don't typically drive the car that much, but now that I've gotten in it, now that I see the problem, well, then I'm actually able to do something about it, right? That I finally see it. And that's why that's the first step. You know, church, I think for some of us, the hard part is there's so many things in our world that seem out of order. There's so many injustices in our world. I think it's hard to know, like, what do I do about all of those things? And you know what? As the church, we have to care about all of them. That's true. But as individuals, we're not gonna be able to do something about all of them, are we? So what do we do? Well, I wanna encourage you right now, when you think about what are the injustices in the world, what are the things that are out of order, that need to be made right, what stirs in you? What stirs in your heart? What is the thing that bubbles up, that rises and comes to your mind? And what I want you to do is I want you to write it down. 
want you to go ahead and write down either a word or a phrase that helps you think of that very thing. Or maybe take your phone and just text and, and say, okay, that's, that's what really rises to me, the thing that, that is out of order, that's not right. Because I bet there's something that bubbles up that really stirs in your heart. And I think that's really the first step. You know, for my wife and I, it's really food insecurities. The fact that there are people who can't get enough food, actually 41,000 people in Dane County who can't get enough food to actually live a healthy life. That's something that really bubbles up for her and our family. So I want you to write that down. And then the next thing is, is right, the next thing is to take, locate the source of the problem, to locate the source of the problem. And I think a good question to ask is this. Why is this happening, and what is causing this to continue to happen? You can't, we can't fix or resolve problems unless, unless we get to the source. And I think this is a really good question in doing mishpat and doing justice. Why is this happening, and what is causing this to continue to happen? What would it look like for you this week or over the next couple of weeks to take the very thing you've written down or the thing that bubbled up for you and do some research and start getting a book or, or take some articles and, and start to learn what is the source of this issue? Why is this happening and why does it continue to happen? One of the things I wanna say and just to encourage you is that don't take one opinion. In fact, I think it's important to take one opinion and then take something else that opposes that opinion so that you can get a full picture of what's going on. And also, I wanna encourage you, don't get discouraged. There's a lot of layers to these issues. There's a lot of layers to the injustices in our world. There's no quick fix, but that's not the goal. The goal is to be part of the solution. And as we work on being people who do justice, as we see the problem and locate the source of the problem, to be part of the solution, well, that's that last step. We gotta do something about it. We've gotta get engaged. Doing justice takes action. It takes action. Now, our heart should break for everything that God's heart breaks for, that's true. But real impact in the lives of those who are hurting happens when the people of God engage and commit to efforts that are part of the solution. Guys, we have gotta be people who are involved. We can't just think about justice or even read about it. We actually have to do something about it. And so that maybe means volunteering, getting involved with people and organizations that are part of that solution. It may mean giving resources and being a part of uh, resourcing uh, people who are doing justice in those areas. And it also could mean you helping other people see the problem and helping them get involved as well. We have gotta be people who do justice because problems don't fix themselves. Let's go back to that minivan story. So like I said, I, we have this great minivan. I typically don't drive it that much. I got in and I noticed that the rear camera was broken, that it wasn't working. And you know what, for a couple weeks after that, I started working on figuring out what the problem was. I, I went online, I watched a few videos. I, I even know what the part is. But after a couple weeks, I lost a lot of motivation, motivation to fix it. And guys, I'm just being honest with you, ashamed, honestly, it's been a year. You guys have anything like that where you're like, oh yeah, I'm still supposed to fix that. Now, why hasn't it been fixed? I think in part because I don't see it all the time. I think that's true. But I think the other part 
is that I got used to it. Actually, my wife and I both got used to it. We learned how to kind of work around it. And then it was like, oh, okay. Blackhawk Church, I have a question that I want to ask you, and, and honestly, it's a question I'm asking myself, so hear me in that. Have we gotten used to injustice? Have we gotten used to injustice in our world? Have we gotten used to people being hungry? Have we gotten used to people who are hurting? So much so that we've lost the motivation to do something about it. So much so that it doesn't stir or prick our heart in the ways that we know that it should. Have we gotten used to it in a sense that, oh, we can just drive around it and overlook it? Church, we have got to be different. As the people of God, we have to be different because God calls us to be different. He calls us to do justice because it is the very thing that he did. He saw our problem with sin. He saw that we couldn't get out of that problem, and so he engaged himself in it, and he sent Jesus to be the solution. God took what was out of order, and he made it right with his son's blood. He got involved. He got engaged. And as the people of God, we are called to do the same. We are called to see the problem, locate the source of the problem, and do something about it. That's what it means to do justice. That's what it means to do mishpat. There are people who are hungry that we can feed. There are people who are hurting that we can help. And as we do this, the world sees God. They see who he is in us. That's what it means to do justice. What does the Lord require of us? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Let's talk about mercy. Your version may say mercy, it may say kindness, it may say steadfast love, and that's because the word is hesed, the Hebrew word is hesed. And it is a beautiful, robust word that has so much to it that there is actually no English word that will fully like encapsulate it. So to help us understand it, I wanna tell you a story about my neighbor. Al and Maggie are uh, our neighbors, they live across the street, they are this wonderful elderly couple who uh, actually have become like grandparents to our children in many ways. They just keep, they're so good. They just keep giving gifts and candies and all sorts of stuff. And um, about five years ago, their son was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I just wanna say, I got permission from them to share this story, just so we all know. So their son was diagnosed with colon cancer. And, my, and we watched, we watched them walk faithfully and lovingly with him through everything, through the treatments and through the surgeries and through the progress and the celebration, but also the setbacks. We watched them love him faithfully. Now, about two months ago, their son died. He died from colon cancer. And it's tragic and it's really, really sad. Leaving behind he left this dog that he loved named Lilu. Here's actually a picture of Al and Lilu here. 
Lilu is this dog that Al and Maggie love, and, and they've taken her in. And most days of the week, I see Al walking Lilu around the block. Now, Al is 83 years old, so he's walking kind of gingerly and slowly. It's more like the dog is pulling him, you know, along, but he's out there. He's faithfully loving his son through loving this dog, Lilu. Now, a couple months ago, it was raining and it was cold. I came downstairs and I looked out the window and you know what I saw? I saw Al. I saw this 83-year-old man with a hat on his head and a jacket on and rain just dripping off of him. Faithfully, gingerly, lovingly walking Lilu around the block. His son has passed, but he is going to faithfully love his son through loving Lilu. That is Hesed love. It's a love that doesn't give up. It's a love that never gives in. It's deep. It's full of kindness, full of mercy, and it is loyal. And it is a covenant kind of love. It's the kind of love that God has shown you and shown me all through our life. And it's the kind of love that he wants us to show others. One of the things I think is so beautiful is that there's this doing justice, but then there's this hesed love where we not only just go and actually do things that solve problems, but we do it in such a way it's full of mercy, full of kindness, and it's deep together. What does the Lord require of us? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Walking humbly with your God is at the basis of it all. Doing justice and loving mercy come out of a person, flow out of a person who is walking humbly with him, someone who's doing life with God. You know, someone who's doing life with God is a person who's, you know, spending time with him, who's getting to know his word and learning from his ways and following in his footsteps. Essentially, I think someone who is doing life with God is someone who is learning to love the things that he loves. Because when you're doing life with someone, that's what happens, right? You know, I've played golf my entire life, I love the game of golf. It is extremely fun to me. It is a part of uh, just my upbringing and life that just, man, it makes me so happy. I actually still, I get nervous at night when I'm gonna play golf in the morning. I have a hard time sleeping because I am so excited to get out and play. Now, I didn't start playing golf because it was the most popular because it's not the most popular sport, especially in high school, shout out to high school golfers, or because it was the most interesting. I started playing golf because my dad played golf. I started playing golf because he loved to play, and so I wanted to love to play. I can remember as a kid, I would see him in the living room with a golf club, you know, swinging, trying to get all the parts right and doing it, even though he wasn't supposed to, because I'm pretty sure we broke at least one ceiling fan, if not two. But you know what? When I was a kid, he would take me along. I'd get to ride in the cart. 
I would uh, do things with him that way. And then when I got strong enough, he built me a set of clubs so that I could play with him. And you know what's really cool? It's a game we have been playing together ever since. And you know what? He's actually pretty good. And so he still beats me from time to time. So shout out to you, Pops. You still got it. Now, golf was something that my dad loved. And because I loved my dad, it became something I loved. You know, God wants us to walk humbly with him. God wants us to do life with him because he wants us to be people that loves the things that he loves. God loves justice. He loves taking things that are out of order and making them right. God loves being full of kindness and mercy, and he wants us to be people who do, this, do the same. He wants us to love what he loves so that we can do it together. Walking humbly with God is an invitation for people of God to follow him, to trust him, to learn from him, and to do life with him. The question for us, church, is are we walking with him? Are we walking with him or have we gone our own way? If we wanna love the things that God loves and we wanna be partners in his mission to reach the world, we've gotta walk with him. What does the Lord require of us? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. These words are so much more than a catchphrase or a nice saying. They characterize the people who follow God. And I'm so happy we have them on our walls and happy that we hang them up because they should serve as reminders of who we are and what God wants to do with us in life. Now just imagine, just imagine if these were the words that characterized you with the coworkers that you work with or the people in your neighborhood People would take notice, wouldn't they? And they would want to know the God you claim to love. These words, they characterize us. They're who we are called to be. And so one last time, let's say it loud. What does the Lord require of us? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your loving word. Thank you for the ways that you have shown us hesed love throughout our life. Thank you for being a God of justice who takes things that are out of order and makes them right. God, thank you for wanting to do life with us that we may do the same. God, I pray today that our hearts would be soft and that they would be open and that we would remember who you call us to be, that we would be people of justice, that we would be people of mercy, and that we would walk humbly with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.